0: John chapter 11. It's a story that is very familiar to us. In my mind, it's perhaps not that you can categorize miracles. You know, is one miracle better than another miracle? But if I was going to do that, I would say that of all the miracles Jesus performed... The raising of Lazarus may be the most supreme of all the, the others that he did, the walking on the water, the feeding the 5,000, even raising the widow's son or Jairus' daughter or, or the lepers or, or whatever other miracles you can think of. There's something special and unique about the raising of Lazarus. One of the things especially special and unique is the teaching that goes along with it. A lot of the other miracles don't have teachings that go along with it. Some of them do. But uh, the teaching here is important. And also, this is a pivotal moment, especially in the Gospel of John, as John presents the Gospel. We saw a little bit of it a couple weeks ago in John chapter 9 when Jesus healed the blind man. You remember that? And it brought him at odds again with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they kind of decided they'd had enough. Uh, we got we to gotta do something about this Jesus. We can't have him keeping on doing these things. And if we have to kill him, we'll kill him or whatever. Well, if that was their feeling after healing the blind man, that was certainly their feeling after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And that is the beginning of the end as they plot to kill uh, the son of God. But in chapter 11, beginning of verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After this, he said to them, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who's come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? Now we're going to end there. And you're thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you, you haven't gotten to the best part. Well, we're not going to get to the best part tonight. We know the best part. We know what's coming. We'll deal with that in a couple of weeks. But uh, tonight I wanted us to look at this story. Because in, you know, we've been doing this face-to-face, the encounters that Jesus has had with certain people. And one of the things that this story brings out more than maybe any other stories is the human emotions that we see from the people involved. Back in John chapter 1, you remember in verse 14, John says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling Among us and we've talked about how that god came down to earth And took on the form of a man lived as a man He had the physical attributes of a man. He was all man and all god at the same time Don't ask me to explain it. I can't but that's what the bible says And being all man, he had the same emotions that you and I have we are emotional beings god created us that way We get happy We get sad we laugh, we cry. We're, we're upbeat, we're depressed. We got all these different emotions. And you know, Solomon kind of said there's a time for each of those, you know? There's a time and a place for all these different emotions. And I think the one story to me in all of the ministry and life of Jesus that demonstrates the humanity of Jesus, the emotionalness of Jesus, is this story dealing with. The death of Lazarus and especially dealing with the two sisters. But first of all, I want us to see some of the emotions. So this is, this is a multi-part face to face with Jesus lesson. Okay. Because we're going to talk about several encounters that Jesus had with people in this story. And the first is with the disciples and we see their emotion of confusion. The disciples were confused. There is no doubt that they had to be confused on many levels. I think, first of all, the confusion would have been, why didn't Jesus go to Lazarus? The man comes and informs Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Now, what the disciples don't know, I suppose Jesus knows it, but if you figure in the time frame and all of that, Lazarus is already dead. When the servant left to go find Jesus, he was sick. But by the time he actually gets to Jesus, Lazarus is already dead. Now, the disciples don't know that. The messenger doesn't know that. All they know is that he's sick. And I'm sure it confused the disciples why Jesus did not go immediately. Or why did Jesus let Lazarus get sick to begin with? This is one of his friends. Why would Jesus let him get sick? Why didn't Jesus heal him from a distance like he did the nobleman's son that we, we, we talked about a little earlier? Why didn't Jesus say to the servant, go ahead, he's healed? Could he have done it? Sure he could have. We all know that he could, even if Lazarus was dead, does anybody in here think that Jesus could not have raised Lazarus from the dead at a distance? I think, yeah, he could have, sure he could have. He could have told the servant, servant, what you don't know is Lazarus died while you were on the way. But by the time you get back, he'll be alive again. But he didn't do that. Why did Jesus not go? Why did he not heal him from a distance? Why did he decide to go after Lazarus was already dead and there was so much danger awaiting him? Why? 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 Have you ever asked God that question? Why? You're not alone. Most of the great people of God had their why moments. Abraham, why are you taking so long in fulfilling your promise? You have promised that I'm going to have heirs, you know, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and and all of that. You know, why, why are you taking so long? And when he didn't get an answer, he and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Why is all this happening to me? Job cries out. God. When God confronts Moses at the burning bush, Moses' question is, why me? Get anybody else. But not me. Why me? David. Why? We've read the Psalms, have we not? Why is all this happening to me and all the bad people seem to be prospering? That doesn't seem right. Paul. Why do I have to keep dealing with this thorn in the flesh? I've prayed three times. And you won't take it away. Why? And what's interesting about all these times in the Bible when people ask the question why? None of them got an answer. God never told Abraham why it took 25 years before he fulfilled his promise with Isaac. God never told Job why all these things were happening to him. God never told Moses why he chose him. Eventually, God kind of got upset and said, because I said so. So it's okay to say that to your children at some point. David never gets a reason why all these things are happening. Paul doesn't get a reason why he has to deal with the thorn in the flesh. God says, my strength, my grace, my strength is good enough. You can handle it. No answer why. But the answer always seems to be the same. Don't focus on the why, but on the result. You know, isn't that kind of what Jesus said to the disciples? You know, guys, I'm actually glad I wasn't there when Lazarus died. Because now you will be able to see the full glory of the sun. Wasn't that the question we dealt with two weeks ago? With the blind man. Why was this man born blind? Who sinned? Him or his parents? Jesus said, oh, none of that. It's not about why or who. In that case, it's about what's going to come of it. And this lesson fits in real well with this morning's lesson in a, in a lot of ways. It's not about the why. It's about what will happen from it. And how can God be glorified through our suffering? How can my faith be strengthened even in weakness? You know, they had to be confused. How many times have we talked about Jesus being on one level and the people being, on, well, he's asleep. Jesus said, well, if he's asleep, why wake him up? Just. Let him him sleep. He'll eventually wake up. There's no reason to do that. And so they 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 had to be very confused. But I like what Thomas said. You know, we call, I don't know why or when or how Thomas got such a bad rap. But he's been called doubting Thomas for I don't know how long. And that goes back to the story after the resurrection when he wasn't there, when Jesus appeared. I understand all of that. Thomas was not a doubter. He wasn't. Look at what he says. Confused, perhaps even frustrated, not understanding what's going on. He says, you know what? Let's go with him and die there. What an awesome statement. What an awesome faith. I don't understand a word you just said about the sleep and all of that. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't understand what you were saying. I don't know why we got to go back to Judea, the people there are trying to kill us. But if you're going, I'm going. Because I want to be with you. And I trust you. And so Thomas said, wherever you go, or let us also go, that we may die with him. That should be our attitude in the face of confusion. Trust and perseverance. Now in the sisters, maybe a little confusion, but in the sisters we find disappointment. And we've talked about being disappointed in God before. In in John chapter 6, you remember that's where, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then he has this long discourse on the fact that he is the bread of life. And then he goes on and he says, you know, if you and unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you know, you cannot live and and all these things. And the people were horrified at that and they were disgusted at that. And right there in John six, verse sixty six, it says from that time on, many of them left Jesus and never returned. They were disappointed in what he said. When Jesus refused to become king, when the people wanted to become king, when he refused to be the kind of king they were expecting. Many of them were disappointed. But the disappointment of the sisters is different. This wasn't a theological disappointment. This wasn't a patriotic disappointment. This was a personal disappointment. Jesus let them down personally. He was their friend. We first meet Mary and Martha way back in Luke. You remember when Jesus is staying at their house and and Mary is, well, I get it all mixed up. But one of them's, you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, and the other one, Mary's sitting at the feet and Martha's cleaning. All right, there we go. Thank you for keeping me straight. And you, you remember, you know, that. And they lived in Bethany. And how many times in the Bible in the New Testament does it say that Jesus stayed in Bethany? You know where he was staying? I think, at Mary and Martha's house. That was his place to stay when he came to Jerusalem. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. He stayed, you know, in the suburbs of Bethany. And he stayed at Mary and Martha's house. The next chapter over, he's at their house again after Lazarus is raised from the dead. And that's where Mary washes his feet and gets him ready for the burial, kind of, it talks about. He was their close personal friend and he didn't do anything in their minds he didn't do anything do you think they knew the story of raising the widow of Nain's son from the dead you think he knew this sto- they knew the story of Jairus' daughter that jesus raised from the dead You think they knew the story of the nobleman's son that Jesus healed from a distance? Those were strangers. Strangers. People Jesus didn't even know. And now their brother is sick. And he lets him die and waits two days before he even begins the journey to Bethany. They had to be disappointed. When Martha meets him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know the tone she used. Maybe she was just simply making a statement. Maybe she was making a statement of faith on her part. To me, there's just a little bit of the accusatory tone to it. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But you weren't here. You weren't here. You chose to wait. You chose not to heal him when you heard that he was dead. And now he's been in the tomb four days. It's too late now. You know, it's it's too late now. You might could have raised him from the dead you know, an hour or so after it happened, but not, not four days. We'll get into that, you know, more next time. You would, this would not have happened if you had been here. Jesus was their friend. He had stayed at their house. He had joined their hospitality. Understand the time frame that Jesus was already dead when the messenger arrived. And yet Jesus sent words back, this sickness will not end in death. Now, I don't know if the messenger took that back to Mary and Martha or not. I'm not sure. He told them what Jesus said. But imagine the sister's reaction to the message a day after Lazarus had died. If we get the time frame there, the messenger would have arrived back in Bethany the day after Lazarus had died. With the message, this illness will not end in death. What are you talking about? He's already dead. This illness has already ended in death. In their mind. Then it was Mary who fell at Jesus' feet. More emotional than Martha. But with the same tone of disappointment. Using almost the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. You think in the four days since Lazarus' death, Mary and Martha had not discussed that amongst themselves. Mary, why wasn't Jesus here? Why didn't he come? If he'd have been here, he would have been able to do something. Why would our friend treat us this way? When he would raise strangers from the dead and and heal other strangers of all kinds of different illnesses, his own friend he let die. What strikes me is how Jesus took it. Jesus let them have their emotion. Jesus let them feel disappointed. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't tell them, what do you mean if I had been here? You don't think I can, you know. He didn't do any of that. Shame on you for questioning me. He didn't do that. He let them have that emotion. Why? Because I think he understands that emotion. I think he understands when we don't understand. Jesus had a plan, right? He had a plan all along. He tried to convey it to the disciples. They weren't getting it. But he had a plan all along. He knew what was going on, but he knew they didn't know. He knew they were frustrated. He knew they were confused. He knew they were disappointed, and he understood why. Because he understands that we are human beings with limited knowledge, limited insight into God's plan and wisdom. And so we're going to be frustrated from time to time. We're going to be disappointed from time to time. It's like many of the Psalms that we've read where David seems to shake his fist at God. And God doesn't rebuke David for that. Now, we can't spend our lives like that. But Jesus, I think, understood that they would have that. There was no rebuke, yet there was also no apology. Jesus didn't apologize for being late. He didn't apologize for not raising Lazarus sooner. And there was no hint of what was to come, really. Simply allowing them to work through their disappointments. So we see the emotion of the disciples and the emotion of the sisters. Now we see one of the emotions of Jesus and that emotion was love. Friendship and closeness are a part of the human experience. Did Jesus love everybody the same? Maybe. Did He like everybody the same? Did He treat everybody the same? That's a trick question. Because the answer is no. He didn't. There were hundreds of followers... But did he not have 12 that were special to him? And even amongst those 12, were there not three that seemed to get even more preferential treatment? Now somebody said, somebody mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that maybe, maybe it's not that Jesus liked them more or whatever, but they just needed more work. <laughs> I don't know. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, did he take all 12 up there? Took Peter, James, and John. When he went in to heal Jairus' his daughter, did he take all 12 of the disciples in there? Took Peter, James, and John. When he went to the garden to pray before he was arrested, he took them, well, 11 at this point, because Judas is not there. He takes the 11 to the garden. He leaves, 11 minus 3 is 8. 8. He leaves eight of them here and takes Peter, James, and John a little further. Jesus treated people differently. He had a different relationship with certain people. And then even amongst those three, John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. That mean he didn't love the others? No. But there was some kind of a special relationship with John that he didn't have with the other 11. And in fact, when he's hanging on the cross and he has to figure out what he's going to do with his mother, into whose care is he going to leave his mother, he chooses John to take care of his mother. As Christians, as a family of God, right here in this place, Do we not all love each other? We should. Okay. That was not a trick question. (laughs) That was not a trick question. Yeah. But are there people that you're closer to than others? People that you have more things in common with? People that you, you share more closely than you do with others? Is there anything wrong with that? The human experience. And Jesus had those same emotions. Jesus had those same experiences. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were His friends. His close friends. Not followers. Followers. Not part of the crowds, but his friends. Jesus loved them. They were his close friends. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew that they were his friends. Jesus would also say later that those who keep his commandments are his friends. God's love for us is unique because it is perfect. Sometimes our love is imperfect and clouds our judgments. God's love allows for disappointment and confusion and heartache because those make us who we are. God never said that his love would shelter or protect us from pain and sorrow like we talked about this morning. When we become a child of God, we are not given some magical force field that shields us and protects us from all the bad in the world. Nothing bad will ever happen to us because we're God's friends. Nothing bad will ever happen to us again because God loves us. No, this story tells us that even those closest to Jesus were going to suffer heartache and sorrow. And Jesus told that to his disciples in John 15. He said, don't be shocked when the world hates you because it hated me first it is, however, a love that gives us hope and strength and allows us to glorify God in the midst of our struggles. And then the second emotion that we see from Jesus is tears. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. I'm sure you all know that. I, you know, how many of you, when you were a little bitty and you had to memorize a verse and say it in Satan Bible class, Jesus wept? Like that one. It may be the shortest verse in the Bible, but it may also be the most impactful verse in the Bible. Verse 33 says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In verse 38, it says once again, he was more deeply moved. And in verse 35, it says Jesus wept. Many have offered reasons why. Some have said Jesus was weeping at the lack of faith of the sisters. Others have said Jesus was weeping at the lack of faith or the the fake sympathy from the crowds. Uh, Apparently, in the Jewish culture, how would you like to have this job? There were professional mourners. Somebody died, they would come to your house and mourn. I don't know if you had to pay them or what. I don't know how that worked. And maybe Jesus saw these people that were showing all this emotion, but it was fake. And so that made him cry. Maybe it was the overall wickedness of the generation and the world and all of that, you know. And so so Jesus wept. I personally don't believe any of it. I believe it was a moment of uncontrollable compassion at the pain of his friends. He was not weeping over Lazarus because we know what's about to happen. He knows what's about to happen. He's not weeping because Lazarus is dead. But Mary and Martha are weeping. And Mary and Martha are torn up inside because of the loss of their brother and Jesus is their friend. And therefore, he sympathizes with them. He empathizes with them. He has compassion with them. And he weeps along with them. Have you ever been in a situation where you were actually removed from the actual situation? Maybe you didn't even know a person that died. But you know somebody who was close to that person. And they weep. And you weep with them. Not because I'm sorrowful about the death of this person. I didn't even know this person. But I know this person. And they're grieving. And we grieve along with them. The Word at that moment was flesh and was dwelling among us. The first time we went to Porto Alegre in Brazil, we had a very interesting encounter. We were out knocking doors, and I probably told this story before. We were out knocking doors, and we come across a lady whose mother had died, or a lady whose daughter had died. I don't... A lady whose daughter had died? I think that's what it was. A lady whose daughter had died. And over there, unlike here, you you bury them immediately. You died. That morning, you're going to get buried that afternoon, okay? And so this woman had just lost her daughter, and the funeral was going to be that afternoon, and Huey asked if it would be all right if we came to the funeral. Well, it's kind of a weird request, but the lady said, sure. So we go, you know, all of us Americans, we go to this funeral, and uh, it's in the cemetery, and in the cemetery, they have like a little chapel, And they were conducting, and the chapel was pretty little, and it was only family that was inside the chapel. And the rest of us were kind of standing on steps that came out of the chapel, kind of like this. And Brittany just happened to be, my Brittany, just happened to be right here at the doorway. And when the funeral service ended inside the chapel, they started making, the family started making their way out, because now they're going to go straight to where they're going to, you know, bury this person. And as the woman came out, she reached a hold to Brittany's arm and just grabbed her and started pulling Brittany with her. Brittany's eyes were this big. (laughs) Brittany had no idea who this person was, had no idea where she was taking her. But Brittany knew this woman needed a little compassion. And I saw Brittany take the woman's arm and just kind of go like that. Brittany didn't know the person that was dead. Brittany didn't know the person who was related to the person who was dead. Total stranger. But she felt compassion. Jesus felt compassion. We sing that song from time to time. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Yes. Jesus cares and he weeps when we weep and he's joyful when we're joyful. Imagine the scene, the son of God standing in a grave, weeping with the family, not a sniffle, not a tear out of the corner of his eye, but openly weeping. And that's the message that we get from the story tonight. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at Dfield dot org. That's D F I E L D C O C dot o r g. Or you can email at dfieldcoc seven seven nine at aol com. Or you can call us at nine zero three six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at eight one eight West W M Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas seven five six three eight. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at nine thirty a.m. for Bible class and ten thirty a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at six p.m. for worship service and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.